Today's reading is taken from um, the Gospel of Matthew, and it's uh, chapter 16, verses 21 to 28, and it can be found on page 984, the Bibles. Jesus predicts his death. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, I'm a child of the 80s. Um, those who know me well will tell you uh, that um, I love the 80s. I love uh, pop music, and I love, especially love 80s pop music. Um, and in the 1980s, there was this one group, uh, frankly rather oddly named, called the Fine Young Cannibals. Do you remember the Fine Young Cannibals? There's a few nods around. Uh, and they, one of my favourite songs of theirs was a song called um, I'm Not Satisfied, um, in which uh, the lead singer chap called Roland Gift uh, sang, No, 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 I'm not satisfied. Can't there be more to life? I can't see reasons why. It was a song that kind of musically, uh, as well as lyrically, kind of got under, under, underneath my skin. Maybe though you're a bit older than me, uh, you may be more familiar maybe with the Rolling Stones uh, than the Fine Young Cannibals. Rolling Stones, any nods for the Rolling Stones? Yeah, there's a few hands in it. Yeah, okay. So you'll know that uh, um, one of their greatest hits, of course, is I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Mick Jagger sings, I try and I try and I try and I try, but I can't, you know, I'm not going to sing it, but you, you know how it goes, I can't get no satisfaction. Maybe though uh, you're a millennial and uh, you're a little younger, um, and so maybe you are more uh, familiar with the, the rapper Drake. He has a track called Never Satisfied. It's not a very edifying track, actually, can't really uh, commend it. But in it, he raps this, um, and I'm not going to rap it, but he says this, uh, time after time after time, money's all I get, and there's still money on my mind, but I ain't never satisfied. Yeah, I ain't never satisfied. However old we are, isn't it funny, isn't it interesting how popular culture taps um, into this, this need, this, this desire that we all have for satisfaction. And yet, as these lyrics say, we, we find it so, so hard, it seems so difficult to find. 
What's it going to mean for baby Arya as she grows up? How is she going to find satisfaction? Maybe she will find it through a loving family. Maybe she'll have a, a good job. Maybe she'll meet someone and, 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 and have, her, have her own family. Maybe that will bring satisfaction. Maybe she'll have, be surrounded by good friends, have good relationships and, and great experiences. But even if she has all of those things, popular culture tells us, and maybe even our own experiences to date will tell us, that satisfaction is so hard to find. It's so elusive. I wonder if you've ever thought about that. Maybe if you have, you've been tempted to, to think, you know, well, you know, satisfaction is, is so difficult to find because, because things don't always go as planned. You know, maybe that's why satisfaction is so difficult to, to, to find. You know, we want our sports team to win. We want to back that put and, and then, you know, they don't. And, you know, we want the sequel to, to live up to the hype. We want it, we want it to be better than, than the original, but it just falls short. I mean, here I'm thinking kind of Star Wars rather than Top Gun, because, as we all know, Maverick is, is a great sequel to, to the original Top Gun film. But you get my... You know, these are, I know these are trivial examples, but, but you kind of get what, I, what I'm saying. There, are, there is more important stuff, of course. That doesn't always go to plan either, does it? Relationships. Families. They, you know, friendships break down. We expect that, that we'll, be, we'll be fit and, and, and healthy, and, and we're not always fit and healthy. Sometimes we are beset by, by major health problems. The house, the car of our dreams, here we get it, but actually then they end up causing more hassle. <laughs> more than we budgeted for, things break down, things don't, don't work. And then we have all these plans and all these things that we're going to do, and then along comes a little virus and a pandemic just you know, blows it all apart. Yeah, maybe we are dissatisfied because things don't always go according to plan. But if you're anything like me, even when things do go to plan, then there's still a sense of dissatisfaction. You know, it's only fleeting. I mean, take Maverick. I I went to see that film. I thought it was excellent. I was really satisfied by that film. A few days later, I'm thinking, do you know what? I'd like to go and see it again. I don't think I've been quite satisfied by that, that film enough. I'm a West Ham fan, I know, I'm sorry. Um, you know, but by, by our standards, last season was a great season. You know, it, 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 it went more than, you know, more than to plan in some ways. We played in Europe, we had a great run in the league, but by the end of the season, we had a poor run in the league. I had more than gone to plan, but we, I was dissatisfied at the end of, end of the season. Again, these are trivial examples. There's such things, though, even the trivial things can and do affect us, don't they? It can actually affect us greatly. But so do the bigger things. You know, we have, a, we have a great job, but somehow it just becomes a bit mundane. You know, we live in a great flat, a, a great house, but then we, we find ourselves thinking, do you know what, if I, could just, if I could just live somewhere bigger, actually, if I could just live somewhere smaller, <laughs> if I could just go somewhere quieter, or if I could go where there was just a bit more going on, you, you know, we're, we're never quite, quite there, even when things seem to go according to plan. And then I find myself being nagged by deeper dissatisfactions. You know, I, I, I look around at the state of the world and I am deeply dissatisfied by what I see. I'm not satisfied by abuse and corruption and exploitation. I'm not satisfied by national politics. I'm not satisfied by international politics, war, 
the environment, all of those problems that COVID has brought. I'm not satisfied about disease, about sickness, about death. I am so not satisfied about death. Death is deeply dissatisfying, isn't it? Why does it all have to end with death? That's not good. I think, oh, John, that's a, that's a depressing subject to be thinking about this morning, but it's a subject we all must face. What happens at the end? And then my sights come even closer to home when I'm, I'm, I'm looking out there. You know, I then bring my, my, my gaze to myself. The dissatisfaction doesn't stop out there. It carries on when I look inside as well. I look at the way I behave, the way I think, the things I can say. And they're not the things that I want to think. I don't know where some of the thoughts in my head come from. Well, I do. They're deep down in here. And it's not very edifying. It's so unsatisfying, actually, to recognize that. To recognize that you're a finite person, that you're incomplete, that you fail. That you don't do things that you've promised to do. That you forget to do things. Does any of this resonate with you? Can you, can you relate to any of these things that I'm saying? Does it make sense? Because off the back of that, what I want to do this morning is to tell you about Jesus. Because honestly, when it comes to satisfaction, Jesus is a man who not only taught about getting the right perspective on our satisfaction, but through his life, his death and his resurrection, what we have been singing about and hearing about this morning already through that, he actually provides satisfaction. And he provides the kind of satisfaction that lasts. Lasts eternally. And so I want to tell you about Jesus because I believe he has the answers. The best way to do this is to, uh, is to, to find out about Jesus is to look at the Bible. Um, you'll see some of these dotted around in the pews. Do please pick one up. Um, they're behind the pews. They're in front of the, the pews. Um, if you could grab one of those, turn back to page 984. That should get you to the passage uh, that Leslie read for us earlier. Um, it is important for you to know from the outset that Christians take this book really, really seriously. We believe it is the word of God. Yes, it was written over hundreds and hundreds of years. Yes, it was written by 40 or so different human authors. But they inspired the, uh, God inspired those human authors to provide a, 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 a real unified piece of work over, I say, hundreds of, of years um, and, and so actually, as I stand here, it's important that you have this open in front of you so that you know that you're not just hearing from John Teasdale, um, although you are hearing from me a little bit, but actually that anything I say to you is based in God's word. That's what Christian preachers should do. If you go to a church and you don't hear people talking from this book, then you can't be sure that what they're saying is coming from God himself. That's, what, that's how important this book is to us. That's why we trust it so much. And the reading that we heard um, is from one of four books in the Bible. There are 66 in the Bible, but the reading we heard earlier is from one of four that talks about the life and the death um, of Jesus Christ. And uh, this was a chap called Matthew. He was one of Jesus' disciples. He was an eyewitness to much of what Jesus said and did. And in this particular account, we read, he tells, uh, Matthew is telling his, his readers, he's telling his listeners, if you like, um, uh, of a time when Jesus foretold his death. Okay? So, we're on page 984. You want to look down on the left-hand side, you'll see a little number 21. That's verse 21 of chapter 16, uh, and that's where I'm going to read from what Matthew records. And Matthew says, uh, says this, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem 
and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Why? Why? Why would Jesus say that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must suffer, and that he must be killed? Why would he do that? Well, the answer to that question it is quite simply that Jesus saw that as his primary reason for being alive, for being on the planet. He saw it as his, his mission, if you like, to get to Jerusalem, to die, and then come back to life. And the writers in this book back that up, because as they talk about Jesus' life, they spend a disproportionate amount of time on the last week. This, this period of time when he goes to Jerusalem, he ends up on a cross, and then he comes back to life. He lived for 33 years, but this, this last week, far and away, gets the most attention. So if this was Jesus' mission, it must have been pretty important. What would his death and his resurrection mean? Well, we get a hint of this in Jesus' words. If you look down to uh, the little uh, 26, verse 26, These are Jesus' words. He says this, What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Twice, Jesus has used the word soul. He's mentioned soul. So it must be important. And what I, I, I want to propose to you this morning is that for each and every one of us, there is a problem with our souls. If you like, we could say that uh, we have a hole in our soul. There you go. There's a phrase that uh, might might, uh, lodge away. We have holes in our souls. Allow me to explain. The word soul uh, is is a word that describes the deep down emotions, the the deep down thoughts and intentions, the the basis of who we are. In other words, it's it's a word about our true and, and unique identity. And if there is a hole in that soul then there is a gap in our identity. There is a gap in who we are. Something is missing deep inside. Something that should mean we are satisfied is not there. And so when Jesus is asking this question, he is asking, what good is it if we gain everything and yet still have this gaping hole at the very core of our being? What good is it to have uh, everything the world has to offer and yet still be unsatisfied? It's an interesting question. In many ways, it's an unanswerable question. Uh, And that's the point, because none of us can actually gain the whole world. People have tried over the years to gain everything and have found themselves either wanting more or coming up short. Alexander the Great, for example, he he apparently wept for another world to conquer. And then he is said to have envied the peasant in his cottage. He said to uh, have envied the shepherd on the plain who had more happiness than he thought he did, sat in his palace surrounded by all his silver and gold. Then there's a chap in the Bible, a king who lived a thousand years before, before Jesus. He literally had everything. His name was Solomon. He had it all. He had wealth. He had fame. He had power. He had bucketfuls of pleasure. Uh, as king, he had over a thousand wives. There was nothing that he hadn't done. There was nothing that he hadn't tried in pursuit of filling this hole in his soul. But God also gave him an extraordinary dose of wisdom. This Solomon guy. And his reflection on all of his strivings 
for pleasure, on all of his strivings for satisfaction. What was his reflection? It's just like vapour. Just vapour. Just got here, here and, then, and then gone. One minute, the next, gone. You know, frustratingly difficult to, to, to understand. Frustratingly difficult to grasp. Like that bar of soap, you know, when you've got wet hands and it just slips out of your hand. Or maybe, you know, you could think of it a bit like, like sand. You know, if you, if, you, if you grab sand, you try the tighter you hold on to sand, what happens is it just slips through your feet. You can't, you can't grab hold of it, can you? It just slips away. Solomon said it's just like this. It's vapor. It's just, it's just nothingness. It's, you can't quite grasp it. God, on the other hand, Solomon said, God endures forever. Now, friends, you or I may not have uh, the riches or the fame of an Alexander the Great or a King Solomon or even a Beyonce or a Tom Cruise, for that matter. Um, Nevertheless, we still find ourselves wanting more, don't we? We still find ourselves just wanting that little bit extra. The world around us sort of exists and it feeds into that dissatisfaction. Have you noticed that? Everything from razors. Oh, I've only got three razors on my own. Oh, maybe I need four or five. You know, you know, the world feeds it. It feeds it into our holidays, into our experiences. I may mean, have seen you and McGregor recently you know, for that travel company saying, you know, it's, it's all about how many experiences you can have and how many different places you can go to. It creates, you know, well, it doesn't create, but it feeds this sense of dissatisfaction, certainly the world, doesn't it? We, we think, oh, if only I had that, and if only my life would be better. The grass is always greener. That's what the world tells us, so go for it. And while our sights might not be as grand as gaining the whole world, we are sort of concerned with our bodies. A little moisturiser here and a little hair product there and, you know, what we'll do to, to, we will do to sort of take care of our, our, our own bodies. But these bodies will only last a lifetime. Our souls, however, where there is this hole, will last forever. This is what Jesus is getting at in verse uh, 23 of the passage that we read. He corrects one of his disciples, one of his mates, Peter. He says some quite harsh things to him. Get behind me, Satan. It's obviously important. And then he says to him, you do not have in mind the things of God, Peter, but the things of men. In other words, you need an eternal godly perspective, Peter, when you think about this. You don't need the temporary human one. You don't need the one that everybody else is thinking about. You need the godly one. And Jesus wants you and he wants me to hear these words too. He's urging us to set our minds on the eternal things and not the temporary things. And in effect, he is saying to each one of us this morning, my friend, my son, my, 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 my daughter, that hole in your soul needs satisfying. It needs sorting out and it needs sorting out in this life. See it from my perspective, Jesus says. See it from my perspective. Set your mind on my things. So what is God's perspective? Well, let me just take a few moments to to, uh, sort of lay that out. We need to to understand God's perspective. We need to go back. We need to go back to the beginning, to the very beginning, back to the beginning of God's word. And in the beginning, God tells us that he made the world good. This world was good when God made it. Very good. Very good. And what I, you know, we try not to get hung up on the fact of when the world was made or how the world was made. The Bible's not really interested in those questions. It's not interested in the when and, and, and the how so much as it's more interested in the who and the why. Who? God. Why? Love. That's what the Bible speaks about creation. God made 
the world and he made it out of love. And, and, he, made it, and he made it good and, and he was in charge and he made mankind to help him look after the creation. The problem was what man did was he said, well, actually, we don't, we don't really need you. God, we want to put you out of the picture. And so man rebelled against him. We rejected that authority of God. We thought we could do better. Now, the Bible has a word from that. You've probably heard it. It's sin. That's the word. That's the word that that is referred to this. This sort of selfishness is, is what sin is. It's putting yourself first, but also rejecting anything to do with God, rejecting him completely. And sadly, it has a deadly serious consequence because God is good, because he is just, because he's holy, because he's completely otherly. He can't be near sin. And so what happened was there was this separation that, that, that occurred between mankind and their creator. There was this dissatisfaction of being apart from him. This massive hole appeared in the souls of mankind. And so ever since... We have been trying to replace that hole. That's what we've been trying to do. Men and women for thousands and thousands of years have been trying to replace it with all sorts of things. With power. With influence. With money. With sex. With experiences. With people. With alcohol. None of these things are wrong in and of, them, of themselves in the right context, but none of them will satisfy eternally. Because they were never designed to. <laughs> they weren't designed to satisfy. We are designed to only be truly satisfied by God himself. Wonderfully, though, God is a God of grace. He didn't leave that situation as it was. And that is why Jesus came. God didn't give up on us. Jesus is our solution to this problem. And Jesus was the one man who lived a life of complete obedience. He was perfect. He lived a life of complete obedience to this heavenly father. And because of that, God allowed him to pay the price that all of our disobedience, all of our rejection to God deserves. He allowed Jesus to die. On the cross. And here's the incredible thing God allowed him to die instead of us. Instead of us. Jesus died a death so that all who believing and trusting in him will never die, but will have that hole in their soul satisfied eternally. This is what verse 25 is actually all about. If you look at the little uh, uh, number 25, Jesus says, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. If you try and save your own life by filling that soul whole with all the wrong stuff, you're going to lose out eternally. And when I say the wrong stuff, as I just said a moment ago, it's not wrong in and of itself. Used wisely. Used in the right context. Money isn't wrong. It's useful. Sex isn't wrong. It's enjoyable. Careers aren't wrong. Entertainment isn't wrong. Power isn't wrong. But if we are using these things... To fill our souls, if we are using them as the basis of our identity, if we are using them as a means to get satisfaction that will last, then we are lying, if you like, to ourselves. We won't find that, those things there. Well, that's all very well, you may say, John, but uh, I want to know what this satisfaction actually looks like. What does it look like in, 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 in practice? And if that is your question this morning, I think I'd answer like this. Jesus will satisfy your life with four things. 
He will satisfy your life with truth. He will satisfy your life with meaning. He will satisfy your life with forgiveness. And he will satisfy your life with life. Actually, life to the full. If you remember nothing else from this morning, I pray that you go away wanting the satisfaction that comes from the truth, that comes from the meaning, that comes from the forgiveness, that comes from the life that Jesus offers. Let me just briefly uh, explain why as I begin to wrap up. Firstly, Jesus can satisfy you with truth. See, ultimately, truth cannot be subjective. Truth is not subjective. It can't be one thing to you and another thing to me. Two and two does equal four. No matter how much you try and convince me it equals three and I try and convince you it equals five, it equals four. And, and, and the, the truth is that Christianity has an exclusive claim. Jesus makes an exclusive claim. No matter how much people insist that, that all religions lead, you know, they're, they're like all religions are just one path up the same, up the same mountain to the same God. Jesus doesn't leave that as an option for us. In fact, <laughs> the, all the religions don't really leave that as an option for us because they, can't, they all disagree on how many gods there are, what the right way to, to find that God. You know, they're, they're, they are mutually exclusive in that sense. And the fact of the matter is in that in a world of competing, competing claims to truth, contradictory claims to truth, I should add, Only one claim can be true. Jesus himself said this, I am the way, I am the truth. He claimed to be the truth. He didn't just claim to tell you about the truth. He claimed to be the truth itself. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to God except through me. So only Jesus can satisfy you with truth. And the wonderful thing about truth is that it doesn't rely on emotion. It's not about an emotional response in that sense. So even when we feel down, even when we feel distant, knowing the truth does and can bring a lasting joy and a deep sense of satisfaction. So Jesus can satisfy you with truth. He can satisfy you also with meaning, with purpose. You know, scientists spend billions of pounds every year trying to work out how the earth began, where life actually came from. Despite what I said earlier, I think lots of us are interested in that. We would like to know the answers, don't we? I mean, although the Bible doesn't point us to them, you know, they're not eternally significant. Our, our curiosity takes us in that direction. How did the world begin? When? But you know what? There are only really two answers you can, can give to, to this sort of issue of, of creation. Either we are here by chance or we are here because something or someone created us. When it comes down to it, I mean, I know that's a massive oversimplification. But when it comes down to it, that's what it is. Either we're here by chance, product of chance, or we're here because someone created us. If we are products of chance, then there really is no meaning to life at all, is there? There's no no point. There's no worth, there's no value, there's no purpose. But if we are made by someone, if we, we were created if somehow we reflect that creation that, in who we are and what we do, then we matter enormously. We matter to our creator and we don't have to look for our identity in other things or to prove our worth in other, in other ways. 
So the satisfaction that Jesus gives means it doesn't matter what grades we get. It doesn't matter how much money we earn. It doesn't matter how popular we are. What matters is that we were made by God for a relationship with him. And through his sacrificial death on our behalf, Jesus has opened up that way to have a relationship with our creator once again. That's lasting satisfaction. Jesus himself said, I am the bread of life. Only Jesus can satisfy our hunger for meaning and purpose. So Jesus can satisfy you with truth. He can satisfy you with meaning and purpose. Thirdly, he can satisfy you with forgiveness. Because deep down, as I said earlier, our biggest problem isn't being dissatisfied with that world around us. My biggest problem is my dissatisfaction with the world within here. And friends, you need to know this for all those things that you have done that you are not proud of. For all those things that you have done that you have managed to hide and to keep secret. For all the hurt and the pain that we have caused. For our greed. For our selfishness. Jesus offers complete forgiveness. There is nothing that you have done that is beyond the scope of Jesus' forgiveness. Nothing. He has paid the price. He has taken the punishment that those things rightly deserve. And friends, it, it doesn't matter how big. It doesn't matter how unforgivable. It doesn't matter how long ago or how recent that sin may be. Jesus promised, come to me. These are Jesus' words. Come to me, he says, all who labor, all who are heavy laden in this life. And Jesus says, if you come to me, I will give you rest. I will satisfy you with rest. Finally, Jesus can satisfy you with eternal life too. That deep dissatisfaction we have about death, you know that I said again at the beginning, about death being the end. It's not so. It doesn't need to be the case if you believe and trust in Jesus. If you put your trust in him. He came back to life as a demonstration of the way that all who believe and trust in Jesus will one day come back to life too. That's what Jesus' resurrection means. For all those who believe in him, we are hoping and trusting that one day we will follow in the same way. And we will be reunited in relationship with our creator again. Again, Jesus' words, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life. That they may have it to the full. See, eternal life, this life that, that Jesus offers, starts now and carries on into eternity. Four things then. Truth, meaning, forgiveness and life. Four things that Jesus wants to satisfy you with. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and some of what I have said uh, has, has hit home. If it has, I believe that's God at work by his spirit right now in your, in your life, in, in, our, in our souls, if you like. He's maybe gently nudging you by the power of his spirit to respond. And if you're wondering how you do that, if you're wondering how you access that satisfaction, well, here's the mind-blowing thing. You can't actually do it yourself. It's a gift. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you can strive to do to achieve. This satisfaction is a gift, a gift that just has to be received, a gift that is received 
as a result of God's grace, the Lord fixes that hole in your soul by grace. And in this text, Jesus tells you how to receive it, if you like. Verse 24, he says this. If anyone would come after me, this is the little 24, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. My friends, being born into a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. Little baby Aria being born now and, and, and these promises being made on her behalf, that won't make her a Christian. One day she will have to decide for herself. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Being baptised even, you know, even as an adult doesn't necessarily make you a Christian. Simply believing in God doesn't make you a Christian. Even the devil believes in God. What makes you a Christian is receiving this gift of eternal life by denying yourself. In other words, saying sorry for putting yourself first. By taking up your cross, which is another way of saying that you want, with God's help, to live, live his way, to live differently. And that you'll embrace that, however tough life gets, because it does get tough. That's why the analogy is of taking up your cross. And you become a Christian by following Jesus. By following after him, listening to him, obeying him, loving him. And not following yourself. This is what Arya's parents and godparents have promised to do on her behalf this morning. Until she is old enough to respond to God herself. One day Jesus will come again. And after his resurrection, uh, um, Jesus returned to heaven to be with God the Father. But he has promised to come back. This is what verse 27, the little 27 is all about. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. So we all have a choice, folks. We all have a choice. But it's a choice we have to make in this life. When Jesus comes again, it will be judgment day. And then it will be too late. That hole in our soul needs addressing now. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. And so now is the time to seek forgiveness. As I say, maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking about things in a way that you haven't before. Perhaps you've been coming to church for, for, for a while, actually, and perhaps this is the first time in years, if ever, that you sense God has been maybe speaking to you and you want to take things further with him. Maybe right now you're ready to ask for his forgiveness and when I ask for his help and his power to live differently from now on. And if that's the case, I want to give you the opportunity uh, before any more time passes to fill that soul hole in your life right now. And the best way I can do that, I think, is to pray a prayer and invite you to pray that prayer with me. Um, I'll read it through so you can decide if you want to do that. I'll just go through it line by line. So if you want to uh, listen to this, you can decide whether you want to pray it through with, with me. This is what I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I want to be a Christian and I want to follow Jesus. I realize my sins have separated me from you. Please forgive me. Please help me to deny myself by putting you first in my life. Please satisfy me with truth, with meaning, with forgiveness, with eternal life, these things we've been thinking of. And please come into my life and help me live for you however tough it gets. That's it. It's a simple prayer. So I'm going to pray it through. And if you'd like to pray it yourself, then please just follow through in the quietness of your own minds. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to be a Christian. And I want to follow the Lord Jesus. I realize that my sins have separated me from you. Please forgive me. Please help me to deny myself and to put you first in my life. 
please satisfy me with truth, with meaning, with forgiveness, and with eternal life. And please come into my life and help me live for you, however tough it gets. Thank you, Lord. Amen.